everyone, this is Tribecast episode 15 and my name is Marina. Today our guest is Nadia Mikkonen from Ule. But before we go to the interview, let me provide you with some community news. So, here is an update of what is going on in the Tribe Tumbery startup community. A pitching contest like no other, sauna pitching is happening on the 23rd. The winner will receive a grant of 1000 euro and the public will have the chance to select their favorite pitches. More information is available on Tampere ES Facebook. A mentor-to-mentor sparring event is happening 22nd of April. If you're a mentor and you would like to get some insights on the questions every mentor should ask, join the upcoming event. So, what are the benefits of joining Tribe? What kind of opportunities Tribe offers for individuals? Tune in on Facebook Live and YouTube 24th of April at 5 p.m. for Tribe Hour Do you Learn Grow with Tribe and get your questions answered. Are you a startup that could use some mentoring? We have a Tribe Mentoring for Startups event coming 6th of May with top quality industry mentors to provide guidance for you to scale up your startup. More information about Tribe Tampere events can be found in Tribe Tampere Facebook and website. So that has been all for the news update. And now let me introduce our today's guests, Nadia Mikkonen. Today we are gonna do a thing which is highly recommended to do for startups and entrepreneurs. We're gonna learn from a big company. So, welcome to today's self-educational episode. Our guest today is Nadia Mikkonen uh, from Wiley, or Ule, uh, whatever you prefer to pronounce this one. And uh, before we are going to talk about some educational stuff, let me give the word to Nadia to greet you and introduce herself. Hello, Nadia. Hello, Marina. Nice to meet you from a distance. And hello, anyone who might be listening. Nice to also meet you on a distance too. Although I don't know if the word meet applies to <laughs> auditive <laughs> information, but maybe it does. Maybe in this day and age we can finally move on to that. So yeah, my name is Nadia. I work for Ule. I call it Ule. I know people call it Wiley. To me, you can call me Susan if you want. I don't mind. But <laughs> anywho, I work as an audio producer and I started about, ooh, it's been a month and a half now, I think. So fairly fresh still. But um, you wanted me to introduce myself perhaps on a more personal level. So I guess there is a variety of ways to introduce oneself. Maybe if I stick to that sort of auditive side. And some of my special interests are um, to do with music, actually. I'm, I've, for the past couple of years, I've been really looking into Tuvan throat singing, which is a bit of a rare-ish <laughs> hobby to have, especially if you're a woman because it's usually been traditionally something that only the men do. And I've found myself on a whole new level of trying to pick up certain things through my ears. So there's like a little audio challenge uh, in that. And also I play some instruments I have in my house. I have a hand pan drum and I have a guitar and um, a mouth harp, or I guess that's what it's called, or a jaw harp actually. And Oh yes, so some of my uh, area specialty areas are um, religion, the esoteric and occult groups as well, and uh, all kinds of lifestyles that are to do with spiritual affairs. I actually 
did a podcast series on this recently. It's been in Ule Arena service for, I think, two almost two months now. So, yeah, I think that's a, that's me in a very very small nutshell. Right, but that's a small nutshell with a very diverse feeling, I would say. Thank you for thank sh- you. <laughs> thank you for sharing. Uh, now I feel a little bit that my fencing is not anymore the most exotic hobby on this podcast. But yeah. Oh, but no, but fencing is awesome. I always wanted to do fencing actually, but I haven't quite gotten around to it. I'm not sure if it do you, does it require lots of capital, aka is it an expensive hobby? Uh, if you take it seriously, like you want to, you know, train five times a week and you want to go on competitions, then yes. Otherwise, uh, like the fencing group I joined, they allow you to use their swords and the minimal protection costs around like 100 euro. So That's good to know. Thank you. Yeah. And there is a group in Helsinki. I checked that in case I would at some point no, there's always a group universe. in Helsinki for almost anything no <laughs> that's one of the highlights of moving here because I'm not from here so when I moved here I was like oh I can finally do things and then I mean obviously the corona thing came in between and said no you're not gonna do anything really but it's still good to know that you know in theory one could participate in all kinds of very odd groups which I happen to love the odder the better fascinating how much corona influences your job uh, well, I guess a lot in the sense that I've been working from, uh, is it called from a distance or what's the word for it? I've been working, um, outside the office <laughs> from my house. I just learned for... that in Finnish it's called editor. Yeah, 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 that's what I'm trying to like directly translate it and I realized that doesn't really sound right, but I guess working from home would be a good way to yeah. kind of, yeah. So I've been working from home for over a year now. So in that sense, yeah, I guess the impact is quite huge. But on the other hand, because this new job that I have as an audio producer doesn't really require to sit in an office. It's sort of placeless. <laughs> um, and the people that I work with are kind of all over Finland. So I don't know if it would have mattered whether the corona is you know, present or not. But yeah, I can't help to think that what sort of things would be kind of mentally available if you could know that you can go and meet people without any sort of concern. So I guess subconsciously there might be a lot of impact in that sense. As a journalist and as an audio-based journalist, I always think of what's the best way of telling a story. And usually in my mind that would involve meeting a person, sort of recording the soundscape as it is, or, or just to, you know, people sound different, a little bit different at least, live than through a camera. Or, yeah, maybe the atmosphere could be a little bit different. So, I don't know, I'd be just thinking about these things. But, on the other hand, things could be a lot, lot worse. Um, I think we're very, very fortunate that we can have these remote contact tools. And they work amazingly well, actually. To some extent, I think it's given some liberty in the sense that, whereas a person could have maybe more easily declined an interview previously because they don't necessarily want to come and meet you in person or they don't have the time. It's a little bit easier without all the maneuvering and using public transport to just schedule like a 15 minute, 20 minute Google Meet or Zoom or whatever you want to use and then just sort of talk to them. So I guess there's been also like opportunities that have come from the situation. So that's like a very pointlessly long answer to a very simple question. And I would say, yes, Corona has impacted my work in various ways. 
Well, it's never pointless. It's sharing the opinions. And of course, currently, I'm super curious to ask our guests how much their work, their businesses and their lives have been influenced by Corona, because our mission, though that's a bit of a posh word, is to give the voice to real people and to understand what's actually happening around. I could call what I'm going to do now the main part of our interview. So, dear listeners, please, that's the time to be very attentive. Maybe you're now a bit curious why I have invited Nadia, besides the flowing conversation, but generally why to invite someone from Ule. The thing is that I've been thinking that what Nadia is doing can be something to consider for people who do a podcast in a sense that the questions she's trying to answer in her job are basically the questions which should be thought by anybody who is producing sound content or maybe sound and video content. Of course, different levels, maybe uh, maybe smaller level for a smaller project, but in general. So please, could you, Nadia, explain to our listeners, especially to those who are doing their podcasts or would like to do their podcast, or maybe a video blog to support their company marketing. So what do you do in your job and why it is important? Why your, why the questions you ask within your team and look for the answers, why they are important for a media? So, I mean, basically, I think all I can really do is to just raise more questions, but maybe they are useful questions. <laughs> because working for a company means, of course, that I don't really usually go out of my way to train other people per se outside the company. But what I like to do is sort of just because um, Ule is a public broadcasting company. So what I do like is to kind of keep a very nice open conversation with the wider audience and society about certain issues, just because I think it's fruitful for the field. So basically my job is as an audio producer, that's a bit of a wide term, but what I'm currently focused on is um, inventing, I think, is the verb that I would use, like inventing formats for audio-based news for younger audiences. In, like, in short, that's what I do. But of course, that is a, like a formidable task if you really start breaking it into smaller parts. Because, first of all, to even think of a way that would... like. The whole question of what constitutes as news is something that I've been really thinking about a lot. Perhaps that's just a personal thing because I'm a very philosophical person. But we, I think we have a very specific idea of what news sounds like. It has to be with a certain tone, it has to be with a certain intonation, it has to be in a certain order of things. But I've been kind of thinking whether or not all of those are set in stone really and whether there would be like a way to convey news that would be interesting to a more wider audience and by wider i mean younger audiences in this regard uh, because i think older audiences are on average more accustomed to, to consuming news already and they are perhaps not so intimidated by the way the world is developing currently so they're not shying away from news sources either but this is just like sort of my two cents about it. So that's what I've been doing for like, like I said, a month and a half, so not so long yet. But I've been trying to like search for information on this subject matter. I've been trying to broaden my own sense of what kind of things you can do with audio that are still 
applicable in journalism and um, what are the different ways of conveying a news piece. Yeah, I think that's the way that I would kind of put it in so few words. What was your other question? I think you asked two things and I forgot the last. Basically, the other one was why is it important? But now I'd like to rephrase it since you haven't started on that one. So basically you're saying, you're stating that for one and same piece of information, uh, there can be different ways of presenting it, also audially. I kind of wrote a thesis on that, so for me it's obvious, but could you please explain to our listeners why is it important? Why, if a game company would like to have different kind of audience in their podcast, why should they think about maybe a bit different ways? Or they should research their audience and then try to rephrase or uh, reshape the sound somehow. Mm. So. Is it, is it well, true that you have yep. to have different kind of uh, different kind of forms of presenting the information for different audiences? And how does it work? Well, to be honest, this is something that I've just thought of myself. Like that's my conclusion of the matter. Uh, when I applied for this job and I got hired, I started to I tried to start solving this puzzle, and this is just my current conclusion. I don't know if it's really based on too much like data or anything. It's just like a fairly like I think it's a kind of a not an obvious conclusion, but maybe a little bit obvious. Like you said, you wrote a thesis on this matter anyway, so I guess like I'm not the only one who's come to this conclusion that yeah, if you there wanna, are two of us, and there yeah, are still yes. five million people right. in this country. <laughs> right. So if you wanna like my sense says that it's like with people, if you wanna engage various people to talk with you, you should probably find numerous ways to kind of communicate and then choose your communication method according to the individual. Like I wouldn't talk in the same way to like, I wouldn't interview an ex-criminal in the same way that I would necessarily interview a, a priest. I mean, you, you serve both with respect, but you probably use different words, you probably just have like a different vibe to the matter and you just try to vibe with the person that you're interviewing. So it's just my humble conclusion that probably if you want to appeal to like, like this is from the point of view of a journalist, obviously, that if you want to talk, talk, aka com communicate with a larger audience, probably you should find out different ways to present yourself in a way that's sort of appealing to not just a very like general average listener but like maybe more specific audiences but now that you asked this question i sort of realized that my conclusions are not yet definitive like i'm sort of sort of still mulling over this question a lot and whether or not there are certain things that you always have to do regardless regardless of the audience that should always be there in journalism this could mean like certain yardsticks for what constitutes as news you can't just like crop up a work of fiction and then say, oh, it's news and then expect people to believe it. I mean, of course you have to have certain measuring sticks to figure out what you're doing, figure out your format. But whether or not there are certain things that you can do within one format, to me, is a very interesting question. And this is something that I started to notice when I started listening a little bit of the... I mean, this is information that you can easily like conclude yourself. If you listen to American uh, newscasters, I guess they're called, 
and the way they speak the news. <laughs> it's a very different intonation, vocabulary, like emotional excitement that they might show, all, all kinds of variations in communication compared to, let's say, the Finnish way of conveying the news, which is the, the way that I grew up with. And sometimes when I listen to, like, I'm very honest here, sometimes when I listen to the, the news sources from the United States, it can be a little bit hard for me to figure out, like, is this a news piece or is it like an opinionated news piece or is it, is it allowed for a journalist to show emotion? Oh my God, like, I've been really, like, sometimes a little bit shocked, to be honest, to, to understand that, okay, the way that I grew up listening to news is not necessarily the only way. And it sounds like extremely obvious. <laughs> But I guess it's to do with like training your ear and until you have to start thinking about these things, you, you kind of just sort of brush them off as like, oh, of course it's like that. But then when you really start thinking like, okay, what are the pieces of the puzzle here that make me recognize this piece as a news piece as opposed to an opinionated piece, as opposed to an essay, as opposed to whatever, then it starts to get very interesting. Very interesting, actually. Right. Very actually, you wrote your thesis on... The, the intonation of Russian-based news, no? R Russian and Swedish-based, yeah, as a comparison. Right, so did you discover that the intonation or just the, I don't know, manner of speaking is different from the Scandinavian manner of speaking? Yes, uh, I did discover that both the, um, the intonation patterns are different, basically on a very, like, plain level, we could have said that Swedish intonation is more vivid and emotional. Really? We, yeah, compared to Russian. While Russian is more like, they use more high pitches, which make it sound, especially if there are news, because I, I had a, as a study material, I had some economics and political news. Um, so those were more like high pitch, high fall, more like almost kind of aggressive in a sense sounding and very what's the word like the presenter always sounds as if they're very sure of what they say that's so interesting yeah yeah and also there was there some difference in the length of a phrase used for new species which was pretty obvious but i wish i remember the data <laughs> it was two three years ago so yeah. I'll send you the file. Thank you. Yeah. But I guess what my point is really that, I mean, I sometimes wonder whether I get too much into the nitty-gritty of things. But on the other hand, if you don't get to the sort of nuts and bolts of, of a certain paradigm mm -hmm. within your field, it, it might be a little bit difficult to change that paradigm. I'm not saying that I'm here to like, oh, we're gonna, I'm going to change the news. Bye. Like, it's not going to happen. And I don't want that to happen because we're quite good with the way that we do it but what i am looking for is sort of leverage in like whether or not we can find tools from that area to kind of figure out exactly what we're doing because it's not really easy to come up with new ways of telling basically or new ways of conveying a message so yeah i guess that's my point one temporary company or i'm not sure if they can be called a company i'm pretty sure they do have that Oh, so yeah, they are a company. Anyways, there is a group of young journalists in Tampere called Rare or Rare Media, I prefer saying that. 
and they are trying to change the way the news play by producing news from the perspective of young adults. I think they're mostly in English and they try to concentrate on the news from the perspective of topics which, according to their understanding, are more interested to the younger generation. So they talk about nature and ecology stuff, they talk about uh, minority rights, things like that. That's it. Yeah, I, I think I actually studied with some of those guys. Well, I recall. Yeah, might be. <laughs> But might I'm be. not. I mean, I think I'm not su surprised. In a good way, I'm not surprised to hear this because, of course, like when it comes to Ule, it's one of our duties, and this is where, like, I'm reiterating this because this is the. There's a diff. I guess there could be like in in some sense a small difference in like looking for certain solutions for commercial reasons and then looking for certain reasons because they're part of your duty and for Ule this is part of our duty is to cater all kinds of audiences so we can't really ignore that <laughs> and I guess that's one of the reasons why it it would be really good to look into these questions about because because the youth have the right to access the news in a way that's mm, palatable for them so If we're constantly making news in a way that is not going to reach the younger audiences, then it's not very democratic, I guess, to put it in blunt words. So that's one of the driving forces here, is that they have the right to access information. And we as journalists are then, I think, like, instead of saying, like, oh, you're just going to have to listen to our news, guys, like, just stop what you're doing or and just rub it in their face. I don't think that's really going to work, although that would be a lovely human experiment. Just take a piece of news and just go and wave it <laughs> under the nose of youth. Yeah, not really going to happen. So it's up to us then as journalists to solve this question. And I think this is probably like a question for many uh, others as well. But yeah, so my point is that this is like a, a duty thing as well. How to kind of bring important information to the audiences that need to know about that information because it affects their future, it affects their work life, it affects their family life, it affects their studies, everything. So of course they have the right to know and therefore it is our job to find a way to bring that information to them. Could you share a few methods that you use for researching what kind of changes need to be done to make the news accessible for different kind of populations? I mean, as much mm. as they are You're, you're comfortable to share those, not, not yeah, breaking any NDAs. Like, in a very broad perspective, do you use some kind of polls? Do you use focus groups? Do you... Well, in the future, I mean, I, I'm going to use everything that is accessible. Mm -hmm. But currently, I'm very much in the very beginning of this process. So my sources of information is just like, talking to people, Googling even. I ordered a book from NPR, which is the, the public broadcasting company in the mm -hmm. United States. And I've just been like reading a lot. And then I also listen to a lot of different audio samples and I just make notes. So really my method currently is very like Sherlock Holmes in, in the sense <laughs> that it's like from the <laughs> 19th century. It's very like... He's still the best. <laughs> yeah. But also like we're just trying... We, we've already like put out some audio news pieces uh, in Arena with my team. And we're just going to see, like, okay, so that's interesting. You, you said this piece of news in that way. Okay, let's see what we can do next. And it's very sort of hands-on 
currently. So I'm probably the not, not most like sophisticated person in the way I describe it at the moment. But I also kind of like the fact that we don't like, of course, we have the best informants in Ule at use and we can kind of mull over the data that already has been accumulated so far. But also, like, we're really open to, like, learning by doing currently. So, yeah, I don't think I have anything too exciting to say about that yet. But I'm very interested to see how the, the project will evolve. Right. Then probably all I could say is wish you good luck with this project. Because... Thank you. Weird to, for me to say, but I do believe that media is important. Especially the audio media. Yeah, I know, right? It is really an intimate way to consume content. I've been thinking about this a lot because I listen to a lot of podcasts. So, I don't know, there's something to it. And the thing is, audio has been around for a while. Like, it's not exactly a new invention. But I think it's fascinating how it has kind of evolved again. That now people are really, like, podcasts are very in. Like, there's a plethora of podcasts to choose from, so... And that's just one, I mean, obviously we're doing news pieces, so I guess it falls into the category of audio on demand. But just the fact that you have to kind of look up words for these means that it's so new that it's not institutionalized yet. That's not the right word. It's not yet, like, cemented, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely something new and something in the development. My biggest argument when anybody tells me, you know, start doing a video podcast or start doing a video blog or something, I just ask people, okay, imagine yourself listening to a podcast, like yourself consuming a podcast. Uh, How do you do it? And people are like, yeah, okay, I switch on the podcast and then I start, you know, cleaning my house or something. And I'm like, so you do not sit in front of the screen and watch. People are like, no, I listen. So Podcasts are really hard to do. (laughs) I mean... To make it sound easy, it's really like a chore. But then I also know that the idea of video casts, I know people who just sort of switch them on and then don't ever watch. Exactly. It's, just, it's sort of like, I guess, the, I, I've heard this expression in Finland that it's a, sort of like the place where you used to have the fireside in the home, that's where your TV or podcast, or oh, sorry, vodcast, as you say. So it's just sort of keeping you company. It's nice and warm. It's just glowing there. There is actually a term for that in English, but I I dropped the word. Ooh, I bet there is. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, let's continue doing what we are doing. Thank you very much for this interview, Nadia. Have a nice continuation of the week. And, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, our listeners, for having been with us. So this was Nadia Mikkonen from Ule, and my name is still Marina. You're still listening to Tribecast, and it's episode 15. Thank you for being with us today. If you like what we do and you would like to support us with it, you can donate to Tribecast via our Patreon, which is a donation platform where you can become a donor. If you would like to follow us, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, um, you can also send us messages via LinkedIn or via our Gmail, tribecastre at gmail.com. And for now, I wish you all a great, a productive 
week. Stay safe and stay warm and tuned.